and came back to Canada in 1981. And I watched for a while. I was looking forward to watching uh, Hockey Night in Canada. But I discovered it was too violent. What happened between 1968 and 1981? That's my question. What happened? Um, Arigato. I think the, um, the question has so many other parallels in different sports. If you looked at um, what you would call soccer and I would call football, there were profound differences in the world of soccer and football between the mid-1960s and the 1980s, which continue. And I guess my point is corporatization. My point would be expansion. And I'm not suggesting that violence comes along with economy, that economy is the only reason economic and control issues are responsible for violence, but they're certainly up there in terms of increasing the impetus, the onus on certain aspects of play. What's ironic in that, though, now is that we've come not completely full circle, but we've traveled so far in this ultra-brutal, physically challenging sport that we call ice hockey to a point that in surveys anyway, most Canadians in some surveys actually suggest that they would like it done away with tomorrow. But that's not what they would have said in the 90s and 70s, 1960s and 70s. This, these were the, uh, the days, as at least one member of the audience knows all too well, these were the days of the Broad Street Bullies. And we had to go through the days of the Broad Street Bullies in order for the media to learn a lesson that you don't focus on men fighting for 10 minutes on live television because it's not particularly responsible as a thing to do. You have to fill that time with something else. But it's more complicated than it sounds. Coexistent with that were pressures to play in a certain kind of way and to sell a game in a particular kind of way. And then we come through to the modern day where I think there's more and more emphasis on sports to commit to stereotypical versions of themselves. Hockey is a stereotype. Hockey is almost to the rest of the world, and please don't get mad with me for saying this, hockey is almost like a cartoon. Unless it's played in a particular kind of way, the rest of the world would say, you know, it won't make sense to Canadians. Canadians want a version of this game that looks like Tom and Jerry where men beat each other up and it's played increasingly quickly by increasingly large people but it's played increasingly brutally in terms of the physical exchanges that take place if not in terms of the fighting my answer is that there are clusters of things taking place simultaneously that range from the economic expansion to the way that the game is played notions of masculinity um, uh, the, the way the game is played here in North America relative to European versions of the game, which are really very different, played on different ice, etc., etc. I'm not sure if it changed overnight in 1981, but it was in a process of long-term change to become what it is today. Uh, I don't see it changing anytime soon very quickly. Can I quickly just add to that that I think... It's also true and fair to make the case that it's still beautiful. Hockey can still potentially be beautiful and elegant. And I think that that's probably, more than anything else, to my mind, why we take kids and grandchildren to the pond to learn to skate. Because intrinsically, it looks aesthetic and it feels good to be, even for me, 
to be able to skate. There's something that makes sense that links topography and climate and history and maybe gender with this sport that we call ice hockey. We're not ready to give this up, but has it become a cartoon? To many corners of the world, yes. My name is Pano, <coughs> Pano Kirkanis. I was a hockey, a, um, sorry, not a hockey, but a soccer player. I played in Greece, in Egypt, Sudan, Libya, and Sweden, and Canada. And I played many games that were beautiful, non-violent at all, and I enjoyed them very much. But I also played few games that were violent, and the intent in some of them was to disable. And unfortunately, the last one I played, I was disabled. Someone, I, I used to play, by the way, a center forward, and I used to score quite a bit, and uh, the intent was to disable me. And then one person from the other uh, team uh, injured me, he crushed my knee, I ended up having an artificial knee. Uh, I can't understand why hockey has to be associated with violence. Hockey can be beautiful. Hockey is a beautiful sport. I was in Sweden for five years doing my PhD, and I was a hockey fan, and I used to watch hockey all the time. Unlike the previous uh, speaker here, I, when I came to Canada, the very first hockey game I was taken to by my cousin in Calgary, it was very, very violent. And I just was almost sick to my stomach. I said, what is this? Is this hockey or a battle? Anyways, and since then, I, I just was not at all a hockey uh, fan or watch hockey in Canada. In Sweden, for five years, I used to watch hockey. They, they played beautifully there. But sometimes when they come from Sweden and they play here in Canada, they become violent. I don't know why. But it seems that people here in Canada, they, they like to go to a hockey game and watch violent more than hockey, more than the art of hockey, the sport of hockey. And I believe that we educated, not we, but coaches and somebody like Don Cherry educated people to watch violent in hockey and encourage violent in hockey. And this is unfortunately what's going on. And you, Kevin, I, I appreciate your talk very much. And I'm really very glad to hear that there is a voice that is against uh, violent in hockey here in Canada. And you mentioned the uh, uh, newspaper person. He wouldn't, oh, he wouldn't take out. He ignored what you suggested, that he should take out the fight. Because people believe that there has to be fight in hockey. I just cannot understand that at all. Thank you very much. Okay, first of all, I'm not sure how many international folks we have in this audience, but I'm going to run out of international thank yous sooner or later. But F. Haristo, um, so much uh, to talk about. What you've just talked about is at least two or three uh, 
university classes in the sociology of sport. Let me see if I remember some of the themes. Um, first of all, any Swede or Finn or Kazakh or Brit who comes to Canada and changes the way that she or he plays, I don't think that's difficult to answer. She or he changes the style that they play because they are required to change the style that they play. They just won't be accepted into, rightly or wrongly, the Canadian game. I think, jumping back to your more dominant theme, the theme of disapproval over ice hockey physicality, I think, with respect, there are two things on the table here, and I maybe haven't been as clear, I apologize, as I want to be about my own position on this. When I teach undergraduate classes in the sociology of sport, the section on violence, one of the first things that I confess and acknowledge to the students is we can't possibly talk about Don Cherry. We can't possibly talk about ice hockey, and we can't talk about these quote-unquote problems, issues related to the NHL unless when, if we're doing this arrogantly, and I'm not suggesting for a minute that you are, what I'm suggesting is we have to acknowledge that there are certain elements of our national game, or one of our two national games, that we like. And I'm now embarrassed, given your question that I thank you for, to acknowledge that growing up, I played particularly two sports, one sport, rugby, in which I always, always enjoyed the physicality. So on the basis of the last two questions, I'm probably as much a part of the problem as I am a part of the solution. I enjoyed the physicality of those games. What I'm really saying there is that sociologists refer to sport as a mock battle. We shouldn't be surprised that there are elements of battle taking place in sport. In a way, that's what sport is. It's symbolic battle. Boxing is an obvious mixed martial arts, obvious cases in point. They're not war. They're not official formal war, but they're battle after a sort. So we shouldn't be expected if players go to battle during the context of this sport. On the other hand, the question then becomes, when does the sport stop and ugly, unreasonable battle begin? And all I've really tried to argue in convoluted sociological language tonight is that there is a level of risk that some people in this room appreciate and accept and some people in this room don't accept that and don't appreciate. And one of the complications over quote-unquote fixing hockey violence in Canada is that there's no real homogeneous position that all Canadians take on the issue. Hockey violence is cultural battleground. People don't agree on this. It's right at the belly and the cornerstone of what we are and what Canada's been for at least half a century, and there's enormous disagreement over it. So while the last two speakers, who I at least in part agree with, acknowledge that sport carries the potential to be beautiful, I would go the next step for myself and acknowledge at the very least that I accept and appreciate its physicality. That might make me part of the problem as well as part of the solution. But I don't go fully the next step and uh, encourage or condone aspects of the game that are not encased within the rules. And fist fighting is not encased within the rules. Everything else within the rules of the game, I actually have no problems with. So I, for me, it would be a problem of, well, do you like the rule structure? If you don't like the rule structure, you have to change hockey. 
And for some people would be, well, I don't like the rule structure so much, we should get rid of hockey altogether. And I don't think that that's, I don't think that's realistic. Just quickly, one comment, Kevin, to what you said. Physicality does not have to be expressed in violence at all, I don't think. Uh, many games are physical, but they don't have to be violent. And by the way, in Sweden, again, I refer to I haven't been there five years. Any violence in any sport is illegal. The police will come in and will uh, arrest the people who are yeah, causing I think the violence. I think the question becomes, how is the violence being defined? If the violence you're alluding to is being defined as something outside of the rules of the sport that the police are intervening about, then, you know, that's, that's, that's an interesting case, but is not true of hockey because fist fighting endures even though it's not protected by the rules of the game. It's only protected by the culture of the game, not the rules of the game, but we still accept it. Kevin, uh, Blaine Higgin. I first of all want to thank you for taking the time to come down and, and uh, speak on this topic. Um, I'm slightly embarrassed of the amount of people that have come out to be able to, to watch this, to be very honest, with, with how important I believe that it is. Um, I myself am an avid hockey fan. I do play, and I've uh, considered to be one of the best sports on ice. But uh, And I do sit on a board for a disciplinary board for our old timers hockey association in town and I do realize that uh, quite often there are uh, events that happen that have to be uh, taken in and have to be dealt with on a regular basis whereas um, the intent to injure is quite often we have to just wonder if that is if that's the reason or if it's a slip because some of us in our older age find it easier to fall on other people right but I think that it's you've got to figure out you know is it intent to injure and then you have to deal with that I'm looking over the past few years and I'll just quickly sorry take too much time here um, looking at with some of the new sports that are coming out when you look at uh, the UFCW like this ultimate fighting and stuff it seems that that's something I think that society is wanting to see is the physicality of it and the fighting and the injuring and I myself have a tough time having someone take someone down on the boards and throwing elbows and, and blood going I, for a sport that was an underground sport before I think that it's drawing numbers and I, I boxed for 15 years of my life and I, it was more of a sport than it, than it was uh, I guess a, 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 a violent thing and I know that might sound a little strange but do you believe, my question to you is, do you think that because of the economy the way it is and to be able to sell out the seats that we need to do, that that is a part that is getting people out? The comment was made that, you know, if there's fighting and stuff, it's going to draw more people out. Do you believe that that's probably one of the biggest reasons now for why the sport is, is the way it is, is to draw the crowds? Uh, of, in hockey? Yes. Sorry. Okay, first of all, can I just, th there have only been three questions so far, but can I just say thank you? I mean, these are just such thoughtful questions, and they're difficult questions to answer yes or no. They really are, to be fair, but they're very good questions. Thank you. Um, okay, I think that one of the points that I didn't make in the presentation that perhaps begins to address the question is that people, how can I say this respectfully, people who are a little more senior in the, in the audience than others 
will remember growing up in a less excessive culture. You grew up more likely in a less excessive culture where what was shown on TV, you probably grew up without TV, uh, what you listened to on the radio, you didn't listen to profanity, popular movies were not riddled with sex, the internet did not exist. All of these sorts of things probably hint at the way in which generationally going back, let's say I'm guessing three or four generations over the course of the last century, uh, certainly three generations, that with each respective generation, social institutions and social life more generally have, has become more excessive. The internet has not helped this. When we want something and kids want something today, they want it yesterday, they want it excessively, and they want to reflect and direct it to all of their friends yesterday as well. One of those things happens to be sport. When we think of sport, we want to touch it tangibly, we want access to it now. The media and the internet have taught us that it can be excessive, our culture accepts excessiveness, and one of the elements of excessiveness in ice hockey is fist fighting. But I actually think that if what we're doing here, and this has never been my intent, is to blame all of sport on ice hockey, or indeed to blame all of ice hockey on fist fighting, I actually think that, not you, but I think that we're all barking up the wrong tree. Because many, many sports have problems, and ice hockey has many more problems than fist fighting. Do I think, second, that people go out to ice hockey in 2010 only to watch the violence? I can't speak for old people, but I know that some people do. Whether or not the surveys show that or don't show it, I know every time I go and see the Flames lose 1-0 that there are just as many people that stand up and applaud when there is a fight as they do when there is a goal. So intuitively, anecdotally, observationally, but not scientifically, my gut tells me that while people actually approve of violence inside the stadium, because they're intelligent and cerebral, their intelligence and cerebral. In surveys, it actually sounds as though they would like it banned tomorrow. Let's make no mistake, if the NHL wanted hockey gone, fighting gone, it would be gone tomorrow. It is the only sport I know of on this planet that protects this particular behavior in the way in which it does. That alone tells you that North Americans, Canadians, and Americans, not Mexicans, but at least uh, Americans and Canadians, continue to condone and approve of this aspect of the sport that is outside the rules. They're not honest enough to say, okay, to heck with it. Let's have it now inside the rules that we like it. But dishonest enough to keep it on the periphery of the sport in a way in which it seems to serve to the satisfaction of lots of fans inside the stadium, which hypocritically then turn around and say, no, we'd like it gone because it's not symmetrical with civility. It's a, it's a conundrum. It's a funny thing. But if your question is, do I think that what's bringing fans out to the stadium is fist fighting? I would say unequivocally, no. I think that there are so many things going on inside a hockey rink, Fighting is just one of many, many things. My name is Al Barnhill. Um, Kevin, thank you. Thank you for coming to Lethbridge and uh, dealing with a very complex subject. I, um, as one social scientist to another, I, I think you've uh, you've made a um, very basic mistake in your 
in your approach. And that is that you, you've taken an omelet approach to this uh, very complex subject. You've stirred in, mixed in uh, different categories of hockey. I, I started playing hockey, organized hockey, when I was seven. That's over 60 years ago, okay? And I've been involved in every aspect of it, coaching, playing, refereeing, boards, presidents, you name it kids playing hockey my own and I would not I agree with very much what you say I'm opposed to violence unequivocally opposed to violence and evidence of that was when I was the president of a uh, college league out in British Columbia we brought in rules that were unique in Canada um, as far as fighting and, and stick work and I pretty well know all the, the uh, underhanded um, act, um, aspects of this game. I've been around Bill Sterling for a while. Anyhow, seriously, um, back to the omelette. There's the National League, the professional hockey category, and at the other end of the spectrum, you've got kids hockey. Kids hockey, if you go out and you watch kids hockey, you'll see whether it's their practices or their games, that they, at least in Lethbridge, I can't speak for Calgary or anywhere else, but in Lethbridge, these children are not allowed to and, and, and to hit and with any kind of intent to injure. They play the puck, they skate, they got emphasis on the basic skills. And you're right, it is a very skillful game. It's probably, well, one study showed out of Ohio a number of years ago it is the most demanding sport there is in terms of 25 criteria ranging from mental activity to physical to stamina to you name it. And it, it was more demanding than any other athletic activity. So try to f factor out these different facets of hockey, the different categories. If you want to don't tarnish the whole game with the NHL. It's, it's wrong. It's been Americanized. The violence we have in Canada has spilled over in great ex to a great extent from the States. And it's also been true of hockey. Hockey went from six teams in the NHL to now 30. And all but, what, five or so are in the States. Their television is violent. Their whole society is violent. I spent 10 years in the States. So I had a pretty good sense of the violence of that country. There's a whole lot of factors, but please do not use the omelet approach to hockey. Old-timers is different than kids' hockey. Kids' hockey is different than junior hockey. There's some wonderful hockey played at universities in Canada, and fighting is not tolerated. So better take a second look at hockey. It's big, it's complex, but it's not an omelet. Okay? Okay, thank you very much. Um, completely disagree, which I think is the reason for this context. Thanks for the observations. I don't think that I've confused different levels of hockey uh, in terms of their requirements. I think having lived in Canada for a quarter of a century, actually 30 years, I'm aware of all of the different levels of hockey, uh, even though I haven't played in them. I have researched them, I've been a parent in them, I'm, I have lived in numerous communities which 
support them, volunteer them, prop them up, etc., uh, etc. Et On the other hand, you're absolutely right uh, because it's difficult not to make the mistake of sweeping with very broad strokes in 45 minutes, and to the extent that I've done that, I apologize. But I was assuming, perhaps incorrectly, that when I'm talking about NHL case law, I'm not in any way referring to the experience of what it might be like on your Thursday night to um, coach your kids or your grandchildren or just kids within the local community. There are worlds of difference in all of the above. That said, a couple of points if I may, please. The case law in Canada encapsulates levels of hockey right across the board. Keep in mind that case law episodes do not only involve fist fighting that involve adults, that involves the NHL. It involves accidents, it involves paraplegia, it involves quadriplegia that take place at the most junior of levels with children. So in my review of the literature of case law, there have been themes which have grown out of those case law uh, elements, which are very similar to the episodes that I've reported in using broad strokes tonight, that actually ref reflect just as accurately on cases involving kids as they do on Detroit Red Wing players. And my case of Ian Strathen is the best example I can provide for you. Ian Strathen, when the accident took place, was playing within the rules of the game at the age of 16 in a hockey school tournament partly sanctioned by a provincial hockey association. The, the second, the issue about US and Canada, I'm really sorry, but I disagree again. I think that that's the way in which you've pitched your question with respect and not wanting to be argumentative is the worst form of Canadian protectionism I've heard in a very long time. Maurice Richard was one of the most dangerous players the game has ever known. And he was from Montreal, as you well know. Canadian players have contributed to the problem. Canadian coaches have contributed to the problem. Canadian media have contributed to the problem. And the Canadian public has contributed to the problem. And I'm very sorry, but I think you just did too. Uh, I think the process is to use the microphone. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm, I see why you don't like them. Um, I'm Bruce Story. Um, you've mentioned Maurice Richard uh, a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, and I grew up in Montreal, so i <laughs> kind of defensive there. But, but yes, there was violence in, in the hockey in that era. Um, but this was the pre-helmet era. And, and, and what I see... Um, in the hockey then and now, um, I think if we played hockey then the way it's played now, you'd have 30, 40, 50 fatalities a year. I mean, the, the headshots didn't exist. The, you know, the violent boardings didn't exist. Um, yes, there was fighting, but um, I think there's been a change um, in, in the way it's played, in the, in the way it's uh, accepted. And the, um, the particular concern I have is even though, and I grant you, I, I know the kids' games are being well-regulated, uh, but you get 10- and 12-year-olds who 
view these goons as gods, and um, they grow up understanding that it's quite all right to hit somebody over the head with a stick if uh, if you're mad at them. You know, and I, I'm, I'm concerned about that, and I don't I don't know why. Um, I don't know why there hasn't been better regulation into the hockey. Um, and uh, you mentioned violence in um, soccer, football. Um, I don't understand this. Uh, you know, my experience, limited experience with soccer is, uh, you know, the referee stands up and pulls out a red card and somebody stomps off the field. Um, I think that's wonderfully controlled, certainly compared to hockey or other sports like that. Thank you. I think that in the sport of um, two examples, in the sport of soccer or football, um, this is a sport much like the ones that you can think of, um, is riddled with its own problems. It's riddled with, as the previous speaker suggested, ways that one can cheat. It's riddled with potential for coaches to teach cheating techniques to, whether it's kids or adults. And it's riddled with problems that range from interpersonal violence to um, ways in which you can get your own back on the field of play outside of the jurisdiction of the umpire, the lines persons, and the referee. Every sport, every single sport, is like this. The difference between other sports and ice hockey, the one major difference, is fighting. We can talk for weeks and weeks about how hockey has made changes in so many aspects of the game, how it's become more responsible, how it's had initiatives and programs to improve it. But the one standalone element that characterizes hockey, but not other sports, is fist fighting. In rugby, which is no less rough and tumble than ice hockey, it's not played with a blade and it's not played on ice, but it's extremely physically brutal. If any player actually talks to the referee outside of the captain, your team is forced to retreat 10 meters all of the way back until you concede uh, a penalty try. What I'm suggesting to you is that if we wanted at the professional level, and I'm fully aware that this exists only at the professional level and doesn't characterize every other level of play, I thought that that stood to reason. It's the case that if, as, can as Canadians and Americans, we wanted fist fighting eliminated from the game, we could have done it yesterday. It's not difficult to do. But the law of the land within hockey, the, you know, people in control of the game, the powers that be, within their own jurisdiction, have argued against this for a very long time and continue to argue against it on the grounds that the people want it, that it's a traditional part of the game, that it's an essential part of the game, that it enhances other parts of the game. Don Cherry would argue, and I tried to show this, that fist fighting actually makes the game safer. And the list goes on and on in terms of the rationalizations which are made to keep it in our game. As for that, so that's the, the fist fighting element. As for the high headshots, um, I have to confess. I would have to see some evidence to suggest that high headshots are worse now than they have been in the past. But I think that at some point, equipment comes into play, and I think we have to factor in whether or not high headshots are being dealt with differently now than they've been in the past, because the equipment is so much better now than it was in the past. 
So I'm not really sure how to attend to the question of high headshots, but I do know, as you know and other people in the audience are aware, that high headshots is something that seriously concerns people at the professional level and, in fact, all levels of the game. One of the, other, the additional reasons, but related, that I disagree with the previous uh, speaker is because I think that to make the case as a coach and probably a parent of kids that play the game that all coaches do their level best to whittle out all of the elements of cheating in the sport of ice hockey. I just don't, I'm sorry, but I just don't buy that. And I just don't think that's realistic because every study I've seen argues very clearly that kids don't learn how to hit and how to fight through the media. They learn in close, intimate settings through playing community hockey, through the coaches, through the dads, being confirmed as a man when they hit in a certain kind of way, and increasingly by argumentative parents on the sidelines that protect a particular kind of game. Hi. <clears throat> Hi. Our next uh, person to ask a question is uh, for anybody who doesn't know Vic Stasiak, who played the game at the highest level, and uh, I think he has a question or maybe a comment. Okay, that's great. Thank you. <coughs> and boy, I sure caught a cold. Uh, and uh, I appreciate your allowing me to go to get on. And uh, because of personal uh, circumstances. Uh, I could stay here all night sure. taking this all in and argue. Great points were made, some for and some against. Uh, but I would, just prior to uh, the previous uh, speakers uh, brought up the American-Canadian uh, requirements the Americans, when I turned pro in uh, 48, down in Kansas City, they didn't know what a puck was, and they didn't know any hockey rules, and uh, we were trying to sell the game, and without a national TV thing, which has not quite made it, uh, the NHL governors, or and... Uh, I'd, uh, I'd just like to ask those who liked the Blackhawks hockey last year uh, to raise their hands or, and the others naturally uh, can uh, abstain, but I would just like to know who didn't like the style of the Blackhawks hockey and winning the Stanley Cup, which is a goal of most players and organizations, teams. If you could raise your hands, I'd really uh, maybe have a, had a great night. So, so just to be clear, the question is, who liked, who appreciated the Blackhawks style last season? Yeah, okay. And you didn't see. You, who, 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 who appreciated the Stanley Cup hockey 
played demonstrated by the Blackhawks. <clears throat> it's about an even score there, but uh, they'll never do it for a long time because of the the um, um, the um, salary uh, uh, limit cap, and uh, they're going to have a hard time uh, finishing. And I played on the great Detroit teams. There was never any fighting. Mr. Adams wouldn't allow it, or I'll send you so far you won't be able to send a postcard there. And uh, that's about the, that's the only question I would like to. Uh, uh, and you made the you made the point just even. And uh, I just hope uh, we follow that same rule because. In my experience in all the teams, and I've played on a lot of them, major, minor teams, it, I've never had a coach say, and I was a checker, I figured if I check good enough, it'll give me time to become a scorer, which I think I did eventually. And uh, followed my young minor uh, uh, pond uh, experience, uh, Lloyd Percival's uh, hockey handbook on how to play better hockey and his stories about the famous Toronto Maple Leafs or the Boston Bruins and how to do the triple shift. And I, I, I made a triple shift on Carl Brewer and, and, and Bobby Bond. And I, here I am on Broda. I forgot all about, I was so happy out about uh, 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 executing the triple shift and I think that's what hockey is about like you said it's the levels it's different and uh, never being sent out to check anybody you said Richard was a vicious player you bet Tom Ivan tapped me on the shoulder you go and check Richard there's no way in God's heaven, that I could check Rocket Richard. There weren't many that could from the blue line in. He was the greatest scorer. And uh, I took him into the boards, and last second I brought the arm up here. And I don't know if you call it vicious because the netting went back a yard or two, so it was all give, you know. And uh, he come off the screen, and his face is all marked with wire uh, mesh marks. And uh, we come off, and I'm ready, and I'm backing up. And uh, he says, I get you, I get you. I said, any effing time you want, wham! If I hadn't turned my head, my eye wouldn't be here. He'd But... Years later, it was in Coaldale, and the, the famous referee said, Rocket, you know this guy? He was, said, come on in, meet some of these young guys that you don't know. And he uh, looked up. He didn't look very long. He knew Vic Stashek and what he did. I'm sure he regretted it, but... Uh, it was a reaction that happens all the time. So let's hope we have 
like I said, the Red Wings, we played it any way you want, but it was no penalties, up and down. Uh, I think it was great hockey compared to the, the standard up and down, get in the guy's pocket. We got guys that can score, you know. Uh, uh, Gordy can uh, stay on your damn wing. Uh, stay on your wing, Vic. That's all I heard from Tommy Ivan. I was getting sick and tired of it. And uh, he said, who do you think you are, Gordy Howe? Uh, he could go all over with Ted Lindsay and Sid Abel when I first came in in 52. I, I could go on all day talking about my experience, and I don't want to do that. I just wanted to find out if people uh, are praying for that same. No fighting. I sat next to... The, the biggest BSer in, in hockey, uh, um, your friend, Terry, played one game in Montreal, and he was like a fence post in practice. He was like a fence post. He couldn't skate very good, but he was rough and tough in front of the net and in the corners, and a great guy, just lovable. But he's only becoming a millionaire <laughs> Uh, jibber-jabbering and uh, I'm glad somebody's taken him down a peg but I better get off here let's hope we have some more Blackhawk style hockey <laughs> which I don't think we will but thanks for allowing me on here one more, one more quick question well hang on I want to respond to that I only have one response I would never check you Ever. I would never raise my arm to you. I, I know. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, Jason LaRondo, uh, I want to quickly make two acknowledgments. The first is that Kevin is uh, probably the main reason. Uh, he was certainly my introduction to sociology and my introduction to sports sociology and the main reason that I, that I um, went in, in that direction myself. Uh, and between the, the books and scholarly articles that, uh, that Kevin has has uh, put out over the years, we're talking about a body of research that you just can't talk about sports-related violence without talking about Kevin's work. So um, I, like others, appreciate that he's come down for us. The second acknowledgement is I, that I may be the only person that can give Kevin a run for, for uh, the worst skater in the room. Uh, so this, this story that I want to quickly relay, it's a comment more than a question, is going to be drawn from football. I, I can't speak to how this plays out in hockey, although I have seen it with my son's team, for example. Um, but in football, I remember playing in high school, a very low level of football in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and one day at practice, our coach was infuriated that we were trying to, that we, the receivers, that is, were trying to run around defensive backs rather than going through them. Uh, and so it, it was my turn as he was having his tirade. And so in this drill, I went straight at the defensive back, head to head, absolutely ludicrous, knocked both of us silly. And we were both deeply, deeply rewarded by our coach for that action. This was injurious, at the very least potentially injurious. I probably was concussed. But I was so quickly rewarded by both the coach and other players that you know something that's going on at a different level was really, there's a trickle-down effect. The way that, that Kevin is describing here that, you know, we're talking about the NHL, but we're also talking about the way that it, this makes itself it's way into other leagues, not all leagues, but it makes its way into other leagues because that code that you've identified 
doesn't just exist at that level. People know about it and learn about it in the context of interactions like that. So I just wanted to add that to that. No, thanks. And if I can try and link the two, thank you for the comment. And if I can try and link that with the earlier question, sorry, I've forgotten your name. I don't know your name. With the earlier chap that spoke before and we disagreed, which, by the way, I think we're perfectly entitled to do and is just okay. This is cultural debate. There are trickle-down effects of egregious, unacceptable, intolerable forms, intolerable forms of violence from the NHL all the way down every single level I would contend. But at, you obviously disagree. I, we disagree. What I was going to say is at the same time and simultaneously because sport is filled with variance and change and difference. Sport is filled and housed and propped up by very good people like you who are mums and dads who behave responsibly, who don't in any way conform to unethical, immoral, or potentially dangerous aspects of the game. And this is the problem. The problem for me is that we are talking apples and oranges about leagues and levels and age groups, but at every one of those leagues and levels and age groups, there are some kinds of these problems, I believe, which are identifiable and treatable. My point that threads all of these levels together is whether by intent or by accident, when these cases at the age of 8-year-old, 16-years-old, or 28-year-old make it to the Canadian courts, these ways that I've described tonight tend to be the ways in which, rightly or wrongly, the law of the land has dealt with them. I'm not saying it should be, and I'm not in any way chastising the very good warm spirit of mums and dads throughout the land who work so hard in the locker room to make hockey the beautiful game that it can be. But I do believe that there's a trickle-down effect and the coaches at all levels cheat and the coaches in all locker rooms can behave in corrupt ways, but surely not all of them. I'm one too. I'm sure we could go on for uh, another hour if we had the time, but unfortunately we have to be out of here as soon as possible, otherwise we do have to pay. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming out. <laughs>